is up fortitude strength we have a very special guest today one of uh one of my friends and i'm gonna i'm gonna go so far as to say language mentor mr mark england is on the podcast today so mark i learned about you like many people in the fitness space back in uh, 2017 on barbell shrugged in march of that year i ended up uh, i bought procabulary and that was really the first tease for me dipping the toe into the uh, the language focusing on the words that i use in that game four years later uh, it's still a work in progress man i can say uh, with the full weight of my current beliefs that going through procabulary and most recently in lifted which is focused more specifically on athletes in the fitness space uh, in lifted level one has been the single most valuable personal development tool uh, that I have encountered thus far. Now, I imagine you hear it all the time uh, and you're going to hear it again today. Mr. <laughs> Mr. England, thank you. Thank you for bringing this to the fitness space um, so that we coaches can bring it to our clients. Uh, hell, I use this tool. I use these tools with my staff as much as I do with my clients. And it's been a real game changer for us recently. Um, so, you know, I'd love to uh, I'd love for you to start today with an assignment that you gave us last night in our uh, in lifted level two call. Um, I know the story and I imagine that most of our listeners do not. How did you get started in this language game? Uh Happy, happy to talk about that story again, uh, Cody, and thank you for having me on the podcast, and thank you for studying this, this, this stuff, uh, the language work, the words, the words that we use. Um, you know, uh, uh, Adam Chin, my business partner, and I, we brag about our coaches a lot. We talk so much great shit behind y'all's back. We plot and scheme for uh, 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 in the in the best of ways um, for you all. We've been so fortunate to get introduced to the fitness industry at all, and then through uh, a channel like Barbell Shrugged, um, that that was to use a very overused word. That was a game changer for us. Uh, we've got. Uh, plenty of time to talk about we can go into barbell shrugged and and how that whole thing played out because uh, there's a there's a very interesting backstory there yeah. uh and so to answer your 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 initial question what's my origin story with this i moved to thailand in 2002 because i thought i was a tough guy i was convinced and i moved over there because I wanted to polish up my skills as a Thai boxer. So I wrestled in high school. I took my first jujitsu class in 1996 and got bit by the bug, as many people do. Well, I was, a, I was one of those um, half in, half out guys on the wrestling squad. I'd be smoking cigarettes in the parking lot after practice and, you know, just doing enough to get the thing done and, and, uh, because pinning, it was, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. I pinned you. You yeah. pinned me. Cool. Cool. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. 
Getting choked on the other hand. Uh, the first time I got submitted or choked, it was the first jujitsu class I went to and I'm, I had no training in any kind of submissions. And this, this dude put me in a very, very, uh, uh, with hindsight, rudimentary basic choke. He just stuck his fist in my Adam's apple and then pulled down on the back of my head. I mean, it was, and I had no idea what to do. The, the, the tunnel vision came in. I'm flapping around flailing and he let go. And I go, Oh, it, it was like, it was like uh, Hannibal Lecter from silence of the lambs. Fava beans. It was, I, it just, now I'm, 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 I'm hooked. And I've gotten bitten by two bugs in my life. One was the jujitsu bug, and then the other one was the language bug. And we're getting, so we're 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 on the path. So, yeah. I I I'm I'm training, and I eventually start competing. Start competing in 1999. And I had a, a good little run there for for three years. Uh, uh, it was my thing to do: go to practice and uh, and then and then fight. Some amateur fights. Cool. A lot of my friends. And I was the. I was the mediocre athlete in the gym. Um, uh, hey, Polly. And, uh, and, and I, we were training with some very pretty high-level athletes at the time. Um, a lot of guys on the squad uh, back in the day. Shout out to OG, AKC, American Karate Center from uh, 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 someone trying to – all good, man. Life. I get it. All, all good. One moment. What's going on, Bowie? Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Polly. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, little little side story. Um, we're working on the generator. We're at the lake house right now, which has been in lifted HQ uh, for the past five years. We actually shot core language upgrade the uh, the course that you took down in the basement. That's we turned awesome. my it's really cool. My business partner Adam Chen, shout out to that cat. Uh, he turned the basement into a uh, a film studio, and we shot that thing. And you know, we've done. I, for, I it's impossible to count now how many work sessions we've had. Three four-day parties here in the last year with with a bunch of our coaches uh you cody ringle please uh go to your calendar and block off uh july 29th to august 2nd Done. not only is that my 45th birthday that weekend it's our fourth and final lake house chronicles party and, and your attendance is requested so this last party that we had um uh it was last month four days. We had about 22 coaches. We got this guy storytelling just right over there. I'm, I'm in the kitchen right now and I'm looking at one of the living rooms and this guy named Brooks Meadows. He's telling this, this story about traveling to Jamaica and traveling to Bob Marley's house and sitting in the chair where he wrote uh, uh, two little birds. And this is this big thing. And we, every, the, the lights go out and they come back on. Nobody flinches. And, and I know where we are in the other story, which we'll circle back to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for all, for all y'all people that study the art and science of storytelling, this is called onioning. When you start a story and then let, let go off into another story and you circle back to that same story and then you keep going. So he's in the middle of this story. The lights go off. They come back on. Nobody blinks. And then an hour later, we've got the red light going, one of those juve lights. You know what that is? And the music's going and 
it's about 11 p.m. at night and all the lights are on on the house and I walk out on the deck. This is the first, I've been up here for seven years. First time I've ever seen it. There wasn't a light to be seen anywhere around here. The power had gone completely off, off in the distance, everywhere, except for this house. Except for this house. And there's this spooky red light emanating from half of the house. And there's this really cool techno EDC music going in the back and and the lights. And I I, I turn around and I look at the house and I I just it just came out of me, man. I'm just going to say it. Uh, uh, we are a light in the darkness. (laughs) No, no, it was, we are a beacon of light in the darkness, which turns out to be accurate because when someone goes about changing their language and their story, there's so many things, folks, and we're going to cover a good part of this. There's so many things that are downstream from your everyday, ordinary language. And when Cody and I talk about language or any of the enlifted coaches talk about language, we're talking about our internal dialogue, what we think, and then our external dialogue, what we say and what we write. When you make a few seemingly minor adjustments to the language that you use ordinarily every day, there's a knockoff effect. You'll inevitably create different stories. And your stories are the building blocks of your identities. You'll create a different identity, which will drive different decisions, which will create different outcomes. So it truly is an inside job. It's an inside and then from the inside out. So uh, I'm the uh, I'm the I'm the mediocre athlete in the gym. But you know what, dude? I had a winning record because I had a gear that. Um, I, I rose to the occasion under pressure and I, I, I would get in people's faces and I'd make things happen. And, uh, uh, and my friends were progressing faster than I was in the, they were getting the, the belts and the things and they're opening their own schools and, and some of them were going pro and I'm like, man, I gotta go pro. This is my thing. So I moved to Thailand and uh, the dark side of that gear was there wasn't an off switch. Okay. Mm. Really my only rest days were when I was too hung over to train. And um, so uh, me, me being that, that kind of uh, go hard or go home person, I'll sleep when I'm dead person. Uh, I found myself on the operating table six months after I got there. And this was a huge move for me, dude. It was a big time, huge move. No one, no one, it was, it was, it was very rare for someone in that arena. Cause MMA was so new. It wasn't even called MMA. It was called yeah. Valet Tudo or NHB or cage fighting. Yeah. And it definitely wasn't cool. Right. People, it was not. The people looked at you weird. They're like, "Why? Why would you want to do that?" And so I packed up everything, moved over there, and and I'd only had a passport for a couple of years. This was a big deal. And oh my god, did I fall on my face? It was the biggest wow wow moment of my life, and darkness descended because not only. And I, the, the doctor said, dude, you're toast. It's done. You're over. 
and I believed him because I was in so much pain and I was reading a bunch of shit online about people that had ground up their knee like I did. And it wasn't just the knee. I had some other things going on. Dude, I mean, you're, you're contact sports are exactly what they are. They're contact. And so not only did I not have my way of, of, of managing uh, uh, my fears and insecurities about myself, which was the hard style workouts and then the identity as a fighter. Because half the reason I got – because I thought I was a tough guy. I said that when we first started. I'm, not, I'm no tough guy. I'm no tough guy. Uh, and, and I so desperately wanted to be because I was scared that I was scared. I was scared because I was scared. Yeah. And, and I, I was going to prove it. I was going to prove it to the world that I was – not and and i thought it was it was really spooky man because i thought i'd vanquished my demons because i got in the ring and i'd got some wins and and there's the proof and when that thing stopped dude those things came back with a vengeance and i used that major fail which was the beginning of me changing the story that i tell myself about myself uh i used that as the proof the evidence, all the evidence I'd ever need that I was doomed to fail. I was cursed. There's something wrong with me. I was never going to make it. All the things that I was silently terrified of. And uh, I didn't laugh for a year, dude. I didn't laugh for a year. And I, I very well might have uh, not, negation acknowledged, cracked a, a, an authentic smile because I had such a victim-centric story an a, a full inflamed raging victim mentality go cooking in my head. Um, it, it occupied the entirety of my mental real estate. And eventually after a year that I got sick of it because I accurately identified, I said, Hey, Hey dude, buddy, what if you, what if you're still s- sour about this whole thing when you're 50? Cause I was 26, 27 at the time. That was not a pretty sight, bro. When I saw that me and that in my head, I'm like, you really will be a loser if that's the case. So right around that same time, my uh, vice principal, I was an elementary school sports teacher at an international school in Bangkok. Shout out to the American School of Bangkok. Great gig. Loved the kids. He had just come back from a uh, – uh, cleanse. You've gone down to this place, this spa down on the island of Koh Samui, Gulf of Thailand. He did a three-day liver cleanse. He came back sparkling, so stoked. He's like, dude, you should check this place out. And a couple of days later, I'm, I'm sitting over uh, at the pool with Paul Marks. So I was the elementary school teacher. He was the, the middle school sports teacher. And we're sitting there and both our kids, we had both our classes over there and we'd gotten through the lesson and now it's free swim. And he goes, here, check this out. He hands me a book. The Tao of Health, Sex, and Longevity by Daniel Reed. And it talked about everything, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, every, uh, the, the Taoist way of, of cultivating health and, and longevity. And they talked about meditation. They talked about diet. They talked about breath work. They talked about 
exercise. They talked about sexual practices. They talked about cleansing and they talked about poops, doo-doos, shits. And it showed this person sitting on a toilet, a Western toilet. And it showed how everything was out of alignment and what happens when that happens. And and they showed this person squatting on a toilet and how everything was in alignment and and it just sung the prayer. And I'd take a dump. I'm like, fine, I'll give it a shot. So, <laughs> yes, folks, an enlightened poop changed my life, <laughs> changed my life, went in, squatted down on this toilet and just had took the best dump that I could remember. And I mean, you know, possibly the best one. ever. I stood up and I took this big, deep breath and I felt fantastic. And I promise everything was brighter. <laughs> It was that good. And I walk out and I said, I'm in. Go down to that spa, do the seven day cleanse. You're taking the pill, these detox pills and the shakes. And there's a, at the time, Cody, this place was just bumping. This is where I met Adam Chin. I went down there for the first time in 2000 and uh, late 2002 and uh, uh, met him in 2007. We'll get to that in 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 a moment. So I went down, did the cleanse, felt a little bit better. And I said, this is, this is a way for me to participate differently in, in my life. At the time, I did not articulate it that well. And that's what I thought. I'm like, I can do this. You know, what happens if I keep doing this? Don't know. What happens if I keep doing that story? Oh, I know what happens there. And I said anything but that. I'll take anything but that loser, old man, just broken old man shit. No, thanks, man. Um, so I kept going back my third trip down to the spa. Uh, uh, there was, there was a man by the name of Barry Musgrave doing, doing, uh, who would eventually become my first mentor in this work. He was doing a, a workshop on emotional detoxification and me and all my wisdom, I snickered at it. I'm like, emotional detoxification and the person that told me about it they go you need to go and they said it in, in, a, in a real spooky accurate way i was like "Ooh!" i went and guess what he was talking about words and stories and identities and then he asked everybody is anybody hung up on something and this woman just stuck her hand right up in the and she goes i am he goes what's up and she tells the story of, of this, this legit stinger breakup. So all, her and all her friends go down. It's beach week. And her, her and her girlfriends have a house and the boys have a house. And, and her, her, her boyfriend hooks up with one of her friends in front of everybody one night. And then Ooh. dumps out. Everybody say, ouchie. All at yeah. once. And, yeah, that's a stinger. And and then and then dumps her in front of everybody the next night. Mm. Yep. And she's rightfully pissed, man. That is that's insult on top of insult and likely some injury there as well, at least to the ego. And four years later, she hadn't gotten in a relationship because she was still chewing on that thing. Mm. And he had her tell the story, as you know how to do. 
and uh, and she had her emotional reaction, which was anger and, and, and tears. Play the story again. She gets into it and he's like, well, well, just make an adjustment right there with the words. And you could see that the story went in a different direction. Less personal. More about him, less about her. Mm. And now she's sad, no tears. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, hmm. Third time through, he addressed the, the key sentence that was keeping her, well, with her words, she was forcing herself to make it about her exclusively, changed that around. And, and, and she goes, at the end, now she's pretty much emotionally neutral. She goes, huh, well, you know, that wasn't going to work out anyway. That guy was actually kind of weird. That, that happened in seven minutes, folks. And I said, uh, I said, that's not my story, but that's my story. And then, yeah. and then it, gets even, it gets even better, dude. I, I, like I, I, there's a, there are many reasons that I brag about the Enlifted Coaches so much. And one of them is, is bravery. And when I think about uh, – because we go there. We absolutely go there. In these, in these certs and in this work, as in we go into the stuck, we identify, we, convert, we have a conversation, we identify the stuck, and we go in there and go to work. It's very uncomfortable. It's also very liberating. And, and then he starts to pair us up. And he goes, uh, you two work together and you two work together. And one person's the coach, the other person's the client. And, and I'm doing my best fumbling around with this woman's story. And, and he goes, okay, time. Now switch up. And I look at her and I said, no offense, I'm leaving. Because there wasn't a chance in hell that I was going to get vulnerable with anyone mm -hmm. about anything. But I did take action. I stood up and I went straight to the internet cafe when there was such things. And I printed off an 80-page manual about how to do this work on yourself. And I went I went back to my bungalow and started reading and started doing it. I mean, immediately. And I kept with it. And I started to uh, loosen up just a little bit, enough for me to feel and notice the difference. I said, there's something here. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I bought 80 DVDs, 80, 85 DVDs on it, watched all those, started working with people. Um, went out to Denver in 2006. The modality I was working with at the time was called emotional freedom technique. It's where you where you reframe the language and you're, you're tapping on points on the body. And it's a, it's a pattern interrupt. It's, mm -hmm. it works. And I went out in, to Denver in 2006 and did a, a four day thing with the founder. And, and I moved back down to that, uh, that same spot, January 17th, 2007. And, and put my, put my, uh, hung my, poster up on the wall as one of the counselors and, and went to work. And I, I might've met Adam that first month I was down there, probably did. Um, and I turned 14 uh, last month. I've been doing, doing story work for, for 14 years. Um, the last six of he and I partnered up and um, my God is that guy added much needed structure into my life and, and just a, it's an all-around fantastic voice of reason on top of all his skills um, when it comes to when it comes to this line of work because he comes from a, a from a, a prestigious 
professional development, personal professional development background himself. He was the um, right-hand man for Jeffrey Gittimer, who's a, a, a old school juggernaut in sales training. And Jeffrey Gittimer, I've, I've been to his home in Charlotte, North Carolina. He owns, it is a, a very impressive library of some of the most rare, but we're talking th- tens of thousands of books. A lot of them autographed, like collector's pieces of personal development and sales training. So he backdoors personal development through sales training. Adam built his, um, his, his, his uh, film studio. We shot the first uh, this is fun, man. This is memory lane. I hope this is all okay. Yeah, We're this talking is great. Stuff. I love it. So we the the course that you took, core language upgrade, uh, that was the we, we had to reshoot it. That was the second one. The first one we we shot actually in Jeffrey Gittimer's, uh studio in Charlotte in December 2014, and uh, and we had it done. It was in the in the can, uh, and and we looked at each other and we. We said, we got to reshoot this thing, mainly because before what is currently known as conflict language. So there's a subset of the English language folks that people use accidentally and unconsciously to create a lot of problems for themselves. The blame game, staring at worst case scenarios, tons of anxiety, indecision. There's a language pattern to self-sabotage and messing shit up, okay? And right now, currently, we're, it, it's, it's known as conflict language. We had to reshoot the course because before it was known as conflict language, it was known as victim mentality language, mm. which is accurate in the outcome, people's outcomes of using this, these, these language patterns over and over again and at the time, it was too strong of a place to start the conversation. Mm. So we're like, because people, some people will bristle with that. Oh, what do you mean? I'm not, I'm no victim. For sure. For sure. I would have. Yeah. And it, it, it's at the time we made the right choice. It's easier for people to identify with conflict. Yeah. Yeah, I got some conflict going on at work. You should see my marriage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so we um, we reshot the course and and just sort of you know I mean we're we're we got a lot of angles on the table right now. We had this this guy uh, who specializes in scrubbing social media accounts. And we, we hired him to analyze our social media, okay, and see what people responded to the mm. most. And the thing the guy came back with, uh, this guy, dude, Devin, he came back and he said, the, the two things that y'all do that people respond to the most, it's, it's when y'all talk about victim mentality and goal setting. Mm. And so we're like, huh. Victim mentality again. Here we go. So um, we have in the near or semi-near future, and it could be called something else. If it's called core language upgrade, fine, or core part two, or whatever. We're changing the vernacular. We're going to go back to victim language, victim language, and, con- and and architect language, which is the 
the opposite of conflict language. Uh, that's that's going to be hero's language, hero language, because that's what we want to do. We want you all to become the hero of your own story. Most people's language uh, accidentally forces them to place themselves as a spectator in their own life, an innocent bystander, uh, and 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 really gets them to buy into to apathy and learned helplessness. And that's a very stressful place to live. And when someone's stressed, they're breathing in their chest, which is the, the reason that I reached out to five people in the CrossFit space October 2016 uh, about who had the best podcast in CrossFit. They came back, said bar, all of them, said Barbell Shrugged, Matt Walrath, who's one of our level two certified coaches, Great dude. He said, oh, by the way, Mike Bledsoe is aware of your work. Would you like an introduction? Yes, please. Yeah. We do Barbell Shrugged, January 20th, 2017. I remember these dates, man. And uh, that thing dropped in, in, in early March. And now we're here. Yep. I, I, got, uh, I purchased Procabulary March 24th of 2017. So it must have been right after the drop of that podcast. Dude, you gangster. I love, I, I love, I previously said it, fortunate. We're so fortunate to have been introduced to uh, such an awesome community, the fitness community through that channel. I've met, you know how many rad people I get to meet through this work? It's the best. It's absolute best. I mean, people that I want to hang out with. If someone is open-minded enough and brave enough to start tinkering, messing around with their words. And you take that word out and you put this word in and watch the whole thing change in your imagination. And the breath starts to relax and you go from pissed to not so pissed. And if you keep going, you go from not so pissed to pretty okay about it. You keep going. No, I'm actually very okay about that. And that was me making that into a much bigger story than it actually was. Being able to take yourself out of fucksville in your imagination and into uh, focusing your attention on the things that are important to you. That's a, that's the best skill that I, in my personal and professional opinion, anybody can create for themselves because otherwise you're distracted and aimless and really psychologically and emotionally inflamed and all to make things even worse, your breathing's trapped in your chest because you're in a stressed state. Yep. And then in the fitness space, we get to talk about all the things like the stress hormone cortisol and all of the negative impacts and the downstream effects of being overly stressed all the time. Right. Cody, would you speak to that? Because that is not my world um, and that is your world. What happens when someone resides in a stressed state? Stress is necessary for adaptation. Right. We need stress to evolve, to create strength. If we're looking at it from the fitness perspective, right, we need to stress the muscles. We need to do the back squat or the curls to help the muscles grow. The problem, think about it like this, right? Coming into the gym for an hour and doing a one hour workout. That's an hour of stress, right? People who say, uh, you know, exercise is my stress management. What they don't understand is this is the most intentional form of stress you will ever put on the system, which is the human body. Okay. So you get that one hour. And if that's the only stress you get in the day, and we do that day over day, we're most likely going to get positive adaptations. Now think about that one hour of stress accumulated with the eight hours of work stress. 
add in the two hours of stress with your spouse, add in the four hours of stress with your kids, add in the fact that you might've gotten five hours of not very restful sleep the night before. And all of a sudden we're spending almost the entire day in this upregulated state. Stress over time, too much stress over time rather, breaks down any system, right? It would be like uh, working in a factory and letting that machine run 24 hours a day without any maintenance. Mm. Nobody gets in their car and they drive it without putting gasoline, without getting the tires changed, without getting the oil changed. And yet we do that to our bodies. A lot of the Western culture, right, is focused around, you know, uh, just work really, really hard. Work really hard all of the time. We're convinced that if we're not grinding, someone else is. We create that story, right? Many people in my experience, as you had touched on before, they cast themselves as the victim in their own story or a player rather than the hero. We don't take care of ourselves in the way that the hero of a good story does. The hero's journey, right? The stories that we see, the movies that we see, they don't say what happens after they slay the dragon and get the girl. Mm. All we see is the attack, the stress, like the adversity, the overcoming. They don't tell what Arthur looks like at the end of that thing. If he stays in that state the whole time, that system breaks down. Camelot falls. The hero, the person who's winning, the person who's taking care of themselves, they are intentional about, in fitness, they're intentional about recovery. I've told people on multiple occasions, they come into the gym and they just look beat up, beat down. I'm like, what are you doing? No, oh, I'm here for stress management. I said, no, you're not. You're here to beat yourself up. Why don't you go home, take a nap? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But the people who do and they take care of themselves, they show up the next day and they have that light back in their eyes. They have that energy. I really like that Camelot Falls. That's that's accurate and uh, uh, spooky. Yeah, like the, the right kind of spooky. Um, One of the things that you've said um, in the past, which I'd like to touch on, is that most people use their language against themselves. It's true. What do you mean it's by that? Very true. Fantastic question. So. Due to a lack of education about how our language influences us, for better and for worse, people, it's, it's, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. It's so commonplace. And, and, and in, in some circles, it's celebrated. Um, I'll back into that. 2018, I'm walking out the door, going to give a presentation. And I'm doing what I'm doing. 
which is rehearsing in my head and I'm early. I love being early. So I'm out the door early, going over the show notes in my head. I walk over to where my car was parked the night before. You've heard this story. It's relevant. People, people will relate once we get into the relatable part. And it's gone. And I'm staring at where I parked my car the night before. This empty, glorious space. And it took me a couple of seconds to connect the dots. I connect the dots. Pull out my phone. Call the police. I said, hey, I need some help. My car just got stolen. Hold on, buddy. We're on the way. Then I called my dad. I said, dad, my car got stolen. I got stuff to do. I need the farm truck. So this is in Richmond, Virginia. I drive out. Somebody takes me out to the farm. and I get the farm truck which is one of my father's prized possessions, 1985. He bought off the showroom floor a 1985 Ford F-150, affectionately known as Brown and Browner because it's two tones of brown, mint condition, and it resides at the farm underneath a canopy. So I take the farm truck and I drive it into Richmond and I start driving around and guess what model of vehicle I start seeing more and more and more of almost immediately. 1985-ish Ford F-150s. There's actually quite a lot of them in Richmond. And uh, only people that drive 1985-ish Ford F-150s know that because whether they want to or not, they're looking out for them. You ever had that experience, Cody? You get a car and you start seeing that car out and oh, about? Yeah. Just thinking oh, yeah. about it. You're like, just, just, you know, I, I, I really, you see a car in the lot that you're like, yeah. That's a pretty dope vehicle. And then all of a sudden you're, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in every color. And it's not, it's not in every color, but it's in the color that you want. It's everywhere. Dude, most people can relate to that. I mean, it's so much so they're like, oh my God, yeah, you're right. That really is weird. So what's happening there, folks, is we all have something called a reticular activating system. And amongst numerous things, it is responsible for the, that phenomenon of us uh, getting in a new car uh, and, and uh, uh, it, it getting, getting our attention. Once, once the reticular activating system is programmed and it's completely neutral, um, it, it, for better and for worse, once it is programmed to find something and that comes through our focusing on something and Turns out the more we emotionalize uh, over uh, something, the, the stronger the search and edit function of the reticular activating system becomes. That's going to make a lot more sense here in, in a second. Uh, it starts to go after and find more of those things. So in this case, it's now programmed to identify these particular kinds of trucks and it has an edit function. So it dismisses, it edits out anything that's not those things. So I don't remember seeing any uh, uh, red Oldsmobiles or green Beetles or anything because it's not the truck. This phenomenon has been studied at length. Two social psychologists in the late 90s, they took six college kids called the invisible gorilla study there's a book written about it you can see the original video on youtube i highly recommend it and i'm about to spoil it for you all for you all is what it is 
They take three of those students, dress them up in white. Another three students dress them up in black. Give the white team two basketballs, the black team two basketballs. They dress the seventh student up in a gorilla costume. And they, the, the white team can only pass the basketballs to the white team. Same thing with the black team. And they film that for one minute. In 30 seconds in, the student in the gorilla costume walks into the center of the stage, looks at the camera, beats his chest, and walks out. That is the one-minute video. And then they showed this video to thousands, tens of thousands of students and directed their attention to the white team, gave them, gave them instructions. Count how many times the white team passed the basketballs back and forth to each other. The correct answer is 15. And at the end, they ask, how many times? Everybody replies. Then they say, did you happen to see the gorilla? Something so seemingly obvious as a gorilla. Mm -hmm. Half, half of the, 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 the participants, and they've shown this to hundreds of thousands of people now. Half of people edit out something so seemingly obvious as a gorilla. They edit it out completely. They don't even see it because uh, uh, they're focused on the white team and the basketballs. This is also the, the reason that um, – and I remember this from, from when I got my learners, uh, uh, when I took driving tests – they said that you have to pay extra close attention to people on motorcycles because there's so few people riding motorcycles that we, because they're not a car, we literally look through them. And that's the most common thing that people say when there is a vehicle, when there's a, a, a four, when there's a car, a truck, whatever, and a motorcycle, they pull right out in front of the motorcycle because they're literally looking right through it. Yeah, I didn't even see him. That's exactly what they say. I never saw him. Mm -hmm. Two more social psychologists, after this became a thing, two more social psychologists, uh, two different guys said, that's fascinating. I wonder if really, really, really smart people are doing this too. Mm. So they go to the, the greater Boston, Massachusetts area, and they get 33 of the most highly credentialed radiologists in the game. And they showed them this x-ray of two lungs. And they said, uh, 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 please look for any cancerous nodes. And if you've ever seen um, a doctor look at a, an, an x-ray, you know, they, sometimes they get really up close. So they're looking for something specific. They took, you can look this up too. You punch in invisible gorilla, you're gonna get this in Google. They took a one inch picture of a gorilla and stuck it in the right hand corner of one of the lungs. And these people that are super smart and super well educated, same thing. They edited it out. A lot of them never even saw it. And so this has nothing to do with educate, excuse me, uh, uh, intelligence mm -hmm. and everything to do with education, which is, I say this on, Almost every podcast I go on, all, it, on every single cert, we're deficient in uh, uh, 
when it comes to our education about how our language influences us. I have a degree in education. I was brought up in the public school system. I didn't have one course class or conversation on how my language influences how I see myself in my imagination, how, how I feel about myself, definitely nothing about how I breathe. And here's a total news flash. This, uh, this phenomenon of the reticular activating system getting programmed goes way beyond 1985 Ford F-150s and, and gorillas. Here's two examples. So this woman comes in, sits down, and just right off the bat, she goes, I'm having problems in my marriage. My husband thinks I'm beautiful, and I'm just not hearing it. I, I, I just don't, I, I'm not believing it. And she goes, it's causing problems, as you can imagine. I mean, imagine the scenario. Baby, you look so good tonight. You don't mean that. Yeah. And she goes, I know where it started. I just don't know what to do about it. Mm. So tell me. She's 10 years old, walks into her grandmother's kitchen for Christmas, and right inside the door is her great aunt. And her great aunt leans down and gets in her face and goes, my, you have a big nose just like me. Thanks for that. Pucker City, little girl, runs into the bathroom. Cody, I know you know. What do you what what do you think the first thing that she looked at was when she got into the got in the bathroom in the mirror? It's her nose. And she's doing it every time after. It's her nose. Yep. She's now got a honker in her imagination. Her, her nose is physically no bigger than it was 10 seconds ago, but now she's got this schnoz. Mm. And because she's got this schnoz, she's ugly. It's the first thing she looks at when she walks by a mirror. It's the last thing she looks at when she w- looks in the mirror. And now she has this mental framework, this lens that is programmed to find everything that is ugly about her and focus on it and pimp hand any kind of compliment or any other uh, conflicting evidence, also known as uh, opinions and things like that. Just shrug them right off, not happening. And we all know people that um, are, are really good at things and you give them a compliment and they're just, they'll do anything to, to dismiss it. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I messed up over there. See that one little thing over there? That's where I like that. And it goes both ways. So that we're, you know, what we're talking about here, folks. We're talking about spells. By definition, the Webster's definition of a spell is a word or a combination of words of great influence. My, you have a big nose, just like me, is a combination of words that greatly influenced that girl in a particular way. Definition, accurate. This other guy, 2014, I'm doing this, uh, I was on the hippie scene for a little while. Yeah. Went around and did, did a bunch of uh, hippie festivals and got put, asked to do a, uh, being a hippie documentary on consciousness. Yeah. I remember uh, the, uh, you had the man bun, right? Oh my God, dude. Yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. I had, the, I had the man bun and I was, that was almost 10 years ago, 2000, early 2012. Look up the cosmic giggle, everybody. I mean, I, some people have, have, uh, I've been called strange before. 
some people have gone so far as to call me weird. Uh, and, and I'm the most normal person on this, this documentary. It's an hour-long documentary on exactly what consciousness. I, I, gun to head, I don't know how to spell consciousness. I'd get it right half the time. But anyway, I'm in a document, and I'm talking about the only thing I talk about, words. 2014, I'm doing Gratify down in South Carolina. Give this presentation, this workshop. This guy's sitting a booth up right next to me. He hears everything. He comes up afterwards, and he goes, that was really cool, man. You want to hear a good story? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, who says no to that? Yeah, I right. want to hear a good story. <laughs> uh, and, and he goes, uh, uh, you know, everything you talked about was, was really interesting. And, and, and I've, I've got a, I got a, I had an experience when I was 13. It changed my life. My grandfather took me out in the backyard. I remember the, I don't remember the guy's name. It's called Davy. And he said, my grandfather goes, Little Davy, life's a ride. You're going to get things right and you're going to get things wrong. There's going to be zigs and zags and ups and downs and twists and turns. Just remember one thing. Always err on the side of being a badass motherfucker. And he said in that exact moment, everything changed. He yep. said, I looked up and I was like, oh, I took this big breath and I saw myself in my imagination as this capable, confident person. And it felt like my energy got bigger. And, and he goes, man, I've made a lot of mistakes, but you know what? I go after what I want. I go after what I want. And that's, that goes back to people's language working against them. Most people talk themselves out of opportunity in the most subtle and seductive ways. Oh, they, they, they'd never work with me. You know? Who am I to go on a podcast? Why would, I, why would anyone ever listen to me? You know, things, things really are hard these days. It's, uh, I remember my dad, you know, saying you, you can never trust anybody. And it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I think I might need to join a gym someday. Let's look at that one statement. Uh, look at the words, folks. I think I might need to join a gym one day. We're doing it three times for emphasis. I think I might need to join a gym when one day. I think I might need to join a gym one day. That right there is known as soft talk. Think. Might. One day. Those are soft talk keywords. I I don't I've, I don't I don't know of anyone that that loves prolonged bouts of indecision. Yet indecision and anxiety and five hundred. It's not the second guessing, folks. It's the five hundred and fifty second guessing that gets you, and and it's it's super stressful. So if people hate it and there's they're doing a ton of it, how? How were they doing it? I was talking to, to Adam Chin Kimberly. We had a business meeting every we do every Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. And we were going over uh, uh, talking points for these two Tuesday night lives I'm going doing every every Tuesday. And he said, uh, remember to emphasize the how. This coaching system, this methodology, this approach, we're very interested in the how, not not the why. The why is cooked. It's overdone. Yeah. Put a fork in it. It's burnt. Yeah. 
You know, there's a big difference between, you know, why does nothing ever work out for me? Or why do I always feel like I'm, I'm never good enough as opposed to how are things not working out for me? How am I telling myself that I'm not good enough? When someone understands the how, then they can break it down into its components and analyze it. Why is just the why will just go on forever and ever and ever. And the why makes mindset difficult to practice. When we incorporate the conversation about particular words, what words are going to force you to stare at the problem and blame people versus what words to use more of if you want to stay focused on what's important to you, create solidity and confidence, uh, become self-reflective and, 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 and build momentum and get things done. Then the words, the word part of the conversation makes mindset. You can practice it as opposed to this big, vague conversation about, yeah, I know I need to get a better mindset, but how do I go about doing that? And, uh, uh, you know, back to you as a gym owner, how many times have you been in a social setting where someone comes up to you and they start a conversation about your gym and they say, I think I might want to come in and try a class sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Has that ever happened? Either, yes. It's either that or, oh, I wish I could Ooh. start working out. And then the next obvious question, or maybe not so obvious question, how many of those people come in for a class? The people, most of the people who say, oh, I wish I could, but I just don't have it. It's always followed up with the reason why they cannot. It's the story that they've convinced themselves about why they're stuck where they're at right now. Oh, I wish I could, but I have dot, dot, dot. And I typically follow it up with an example of, oh, I totally understand that. I've got a, um, a couple who comes to us who just had their fourth child. Mm. And they make the time. <laughs> so what was the, what was your thing again? Why, why is it that you specifically can't do it? Listen to what he just said. There's a big difference between finding the time and making the time. Someone that says they're going to make time for something. They're going to create time for something. It's different than uh, uh, much, much different than, than finding the time. So there is when, when someone changes their words and gets their, gets their reticular activating system focusing on solutions mm-hmm. as opposed to the problems, reasons why they can do something versus if somebody shows up with a problem, cool, great. How do you feel about it? Well, this, this, and this. Okay, great. Here's a pen. Give me 10 reasons why you can do it. Mm-hmm. And, and they will come up with that. They'll come up with at least a couple of reasons why they can do it. 95% of the time, they will be able to do it. And once they – what's the difference between these two sentences, Cody? And if you're listening, everybody, get a pen. Or, or if you're listening and you're not driving – 
get a pen and some paper and write these two sentences down. Because now we're in a part of the conversation, a part of this podcast where we can create some experiences for you, which is one of the things that I like to do on podcasts, make this experiential. Because a couple of, a couple of interactions like this and, and, and people go, oh, now I totally get what they're talking about. Write this sentence down, Cody, if, if you got a pen. Yep. Please. And this is, this is one of my go-tos at this stage of the conversation. How can I ever get over this? You ever heard me say I repeat myself a lot? Yeah, man. So we ran a, I, I, I ran a workshop three weeks ago for our members, mm-hmm. and we played this game. I love this game. It was it a works. noticeable shift. You know what? You got the mic. Tell them, tell them where this goes uh, and, and, and what, uh, what happened when you ran it. When we ran through it in the workshop, uh, you know, we're playing the one word game. Write this sentence down. How can I ever get over this? And that emphasis on the ever is, is how almost everyone who spoke that phrase out loud did that. They emphasized the ever and the mental imagery and the feelings that they had was um, a despair. It was like, it was overwhelm. It was stress. So cool. All right. Everybody had a relatively similar baseline. We're going to rewrite this sentence. I want you to take out the word ever. How can I get over this? And it was when they, when the same people reread that sentence as how can I get over this? It was said like that. It was a it was a noticeable change. It was snapped into problem solving mode. I asked, "What changed for you?" And all three of the people had a slightly different experience, but they were all focused towards. There's a solution here. Now I can start working towards that thing. There's opportunity. There, there, exactly. That one word, ever, when it's taken out of that question, which truth be told, folks, is not a question. How can I ever get over this? Yes, fine. It has a question mark on the end. And when it's said like that, which is how it's said most of the time, it's a statement of I'm screwed. I can't get over it. So I just stare at the problem, and that's what I got. Whoops. We take out the ever, and now it's turned into a real question. How can I get over it? Which is a presupposition. It presupposes that I can. So I start looking for solutions. That's, uh, let's keep going. Um, Write this sentence down, Cody, please. And everybody else too. I can't keep focusing on my past. Got it. Say that out loud and then describe to everyone what kind of mental imagery you make and what kind of feelings you make. And on an important side note, folks, when we engage in these conversations about how our words influence us for better and for worse, we're looking at four main things. We're looking at how our words influence our imagination, how our words influence our feelings and emotions, how our words influence how we breathe and how our words influence our posture, our, 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 how we physically hold ourself, ourselves. 
So when, when, when you say that, what happens, bro? I can't keep focusing on my past. It is physically difficult for me to keep an upright postured position. Mm. I focus on uh, the darkness, the, the, what I like to call the darkness, right? The things in my past that um, I used as fuel at one point in time and I imagined I needed to hold on to, uh, which are not positive experiences. Nope. I don't say I can't keep focusing on my past and think about the good things that have happened. Or where you could go in your life. Right. My driving teacher, he said it first thing I, he said, when I got in the car, I'm 15 and three quarters year old. He said, look where you want to go. Cause you're probably going to go there. I can't keep focusing on my past. I'm not going to make all these mistakes. I won't spend all my money this month. I don't like having so many arguments with you. That's problem after problem after problem after problem. And regardless of your intention, your words beat your intentions. If you are uh, uh, interested in cultivating a harmonious relationship with someone and you've got a lot of negations uh, sprinkled into your language, you're going to get what you don't want you're going to get more of it first and foremost in your imagination and then and then it uh magically disseminates out into your outer world Mm -hmm. so here's a good example of this exact sentence again i tell this story uh frequently too because it's a good one it's good to tell good stories a lot turns out i'm up in calgary this is 2014 15 i'm doing a uh presentation for an insurance company and then I stay after and do individual sessions with their uh, with their team members and I'm in a room uh, myself and this 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 young man we're six feet apart sitting in chairs okay facing each other and he said that exact same sentence he goes Mark I can't keep focusing on my past and he said it with a lot of emphasis and uh, uh, whether you can see this or not As soon as he said that, I can't keep focusing on my past, he turns around real quick, looks behind him, and then turns back at me. I'm staring right at him. Of course, I see it. I go, dude, you know you uh, just turned around and looked behind you, right? He goes, really? I go, yeah, really. What What did you see? He had to stop and think about it. That brings up another important side note, folks. Our, we use our language so fast that it is so easy for us to lose sight yeah, that, that, of how our words uh, are impacting us. If you, so I get asked a lot, uh, Mark, where do we start? What do we do? And I have two answers. We're going to go with the macro answer. And a little bit later in the podcast, I'm going to give you the micro answer. The macro answer is for uh, time to time, one day, just one. Slow down your rate of speech when you're conversing with someone and watch what happens. When someone slows down their rate of speech, they're going to breathe a little bit better. They're going to have the mental real estate to connect the dots between what words are working for them, what words are working against them. They've got the the, the, the space to, to feel more uh, uh, when it comes to 
our, our words, our language. And then, and, and then I asked him, I said, well, what are you, what are you feeling? And he said, well, I'm, 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 I'm angry and a little bit anxious. Okay. There's two of the three physical body turned around. It was a macro movement. It wasn't this little scratch in the side of the face thing. He turned around and looked behind him, didn't know he did it. And then his imagination was, uh, uh, cause I asked, cause I like to know, he said, I saw myself on the couch and all alone. And he was feeling uh, angry and a little bit anxious. And then guess where his breath was trapped in his chest. One statement did that whole thing to him. And I said, bro, get a pen and write that down. Write what down? That statement. What statement? I can't keep focusing on my past. So he did. He writes it down. I can't. Negation keyword. I can't keep focusing on my past. And I said, if that's what you can't keep doing, what can you start doing? And he said it like a question. Uh, Focus on my future more? See how it went up at the end? It's called up talk. And I said, uh, yeah. Now, make it a statement. And it took him a second. I can focus on my future more. <sighs> took the breath. I can, I can focus on. I can, I can. I can focus on my future more. That's known as talking yourself into opportunity, getting your language working for you, constructing a combination of words, a spell that gets you to look forward into the future and become creative. And I asked him, what, are the, what's the, what do you need to do? And we identified three things, as in he wrote them down. The power of the pen. Cody Ringel knows this well. How often do we talk about the power of writing things down in the enlifted certs? Every day. Every day. And he wrote down, identified that he, he needed to do three things. There was a couple of books he needed to read. He ordered them. He needed to get a mentor. He got one. And he needed to go to more social functions at work. And nine months later... This guy, this guy comments on one of our YouTube videos. He said, uh, you know, this guy helped me out with one single statement. And I did what we, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I, I, I followed through. I did the things. And my life has been very different since professionally speaking. Oh, and personally speaking as well. Because there's a, things, you get things going well at, at work. Things, things improve at home most of the time. Okay. Get improve some things at home and, and things improve at work. The same language patterns that people use to make things hard on themselves in the gym uh, are the same language patterns that people use in their relationships. The same people, language patterns people use at, 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 uh, uh, at, at work. There's only so many ways someone can piss themselves off. Okay. And we've mapped them out to a le legitimate degree. Uh, and just on a side note, man, you know, just being very forthright, this work, to say it saved my life, maybe, like literally saved my life, it definitely, it, it definitely saved me from living a shitty life. I was not, I was, I was, I was, yes, I had friends, okay? And I was, friendly to my friends. And I, I wasn't bringing much to the table. Okay. Definitely not for my community. I was a detriment because mm. I was so self-serving. I was so self-consumed. 
uh, and having to prove things to people that I was this way because I was terrified that I was actually completely different. I had put on such a front and um, I I might've gotten more out of this whole thing than anybody else. You know, we're, we're in, we're, I'm going to certify a thousand coaches, a thousand level one coaches. And then as the percentages are right now, 50% will go to level two and then level three. And then we're done certifying coaches. That's it. And we were talking about this this morning. Very likely that's the end of our certification process. Mm -hmm. These are the people we have and we're moving forward with them. And we're going to do those. We're just going to support them to go out and do uh, uh, their own workshops, okay, and their own trainings, um, and and just on another side note, man, get yourself in a good community of people, man. It's so it's so necessary, and it's um, it's not going to happen on its own. Nope. we it's think not about that. Well, we think about that here at the gym. Right. We're very mm-hmm. protective of the uh, of the community that we're trying to build. And I've even gone back and forth with the word community. Right. Because when people say community in the gym space, what they really mean is working out with their friends at the time that works well for them. Mm. It's not community in the Mac. If it was truly community, what they would do is they would come to a bunch of different classes and they would take part in all of the social events. So we try to focus on culture. We yes, the culture drive the community. We still stick with the word community because that's the word that our members use. Smart. Yeah. Very smart. So with the protectiveness of the culture, we focus on our core values, right? Fortitude, integrity, thankfulness, united in strength. Mm. And the thankfulness aspect, we play a lot in the language. We've revised our mission as a gym this year. Our mission is to help people gain self-confidence by developing strength, prioritizing nutrition, and fortifying their mindset. The mindset piece plays into the thankfulness piece. Ben Bergeron, who's a CrossFit uh, coach, um, talks about, and we're no longer a CrossFit affiliate, but we were for five years. So I still have some authority to talk in that space. Sure. He talks about it and he said, it's turning the half twos, or rather it's turning the, uh, yes, the half twos to get twos. You know, people will say things like, I have to go to the gym. I have to pick up my kids. I have to go to work. No, you don't. In 2021, there are very few things that the average American has to do. If you don't want to go to work, don't go. If you don't want to go to your kid's practice, you don't have to. You get to do all of these things. And that little piece is a cognitive shift like you talk about. It's a big deal. What Cody's referring to everybody uh, in, in the enlifted vernacular is pressure language. Have to, got to, need to. Take out the have tos and put in get tos. Take out the haves and put in gets. Take out the gots and put in gets. Take out the needs and put in gets. And he's absolutely right. It, you will create more appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness. And those, are, those three are very warm emotions, Okay, and when people are generating, creating warmth in themselves, in their, in their, in 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 their life, that's um, it's it's one of the unseen magical forces in a in a in a healthy community or culture. Shout out to Peter Drucker, a, a, a 
a business strategy guru. He says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Here's a little story about half, half, half get got twos versus get twos. Buddy of mine, who would be an interesting person for you to have on this show. And I'm very happy to make the introduction. You've heard the, oh, yeah. probably heard the name Paris Robinson. Mm-hmm. So I graduated high school, Midlothian high school, uh, uh, which is in the suburbs of Richmond in 1995. In 1995, Paris Robinson was one of the kingpin heroin dealers in, in Richmond, which at the time, Richmond was the most dangerous city in, this, in the four, Continental 48, lower 48, uh, uh, as far as the, the, the murder count was going. And he was in the middle of that stuff. And he got set up and somebody uh, put four shots in his sternum ouchie and he lay <laughs> he laid in a bed paralyzed from the neck down for two years uh until uh something miraculous happened one evening one night in the middle of the night and he decided to go to start going to rehab and which entailed them just strapping his floppy limp arms into uh this uh, like a bicycle thing for the arms and he would just do that he did that for months and he kept going and the doctor said, don't, why even try? Anyway, he did. He got full uh, use of his upper body and got himself in a wheelchair. And, and uh, he said, the day that I got, because he wore a diaper. He wore a diaper for two years. I, I know, dude. He said, if I could have pulled the thing, the, the, the tubes out of my neck to, to end it, I would have. That's crazy. He said, the day that I got, T-G-O-T. I got to go. It's different words. I got to go buy underwear for the first time in two and a half years was one of the best days of my life. And since that, he's a good buddy of mine. Since that, he told that story. Um, going to, to buy underwear has been a different experience for me because I think about him every time and I'm like, I get to go do this. I get to put my shoes on and go on a walk, you know, wonderful. So, you know, shout out to you and what you're doing for the gym, man. Uh, I, this is something that I know is happening uh, in, in there. There's you're focusing on the words in the gym and then it's getting out into other areas of life outside of the gym. You know, parents, parents changing just a few words, uh, uh, with, with their children, parents' language scaffolds children's identities. For sure. For sure. And when, when a parent slows down their, their, their rate of speech and breathes a little bit better and is a little, just a little bit more constructive um, and considerate, not emotionally considerate, like better, just, just more contemplative with their words, uh, it, it makes... It makes parenting, well, that much more enjoyable. I've worked with a number of parents over the years, and a lot of them say, I hate repeating myself. Mm. And there's a reason for that, because they're repeating themselves in negations. Mm. Don't talk back to me. Don't do that. You can't have another one. 
And what happens is I make the picture of them doing that again and talking back to me and, and having another cook. I piss myself off first mm-hmm. and then enroll them in the conversation consciously and unconsciously because my lang- our language is an inheritance, folks. We inherited our, our language from our parents. And when a, when a parent chooses to use more affirmations, um, please wait uh, uh, till I'm done talking or uh, you can have three and then you're done mm-hmm. or uh, please clean your room instead of, um, you know, uh, don't leave your whatever on the floor anymore. It makes repeating yourself a little bit somewhere between a little bit and a lot more enjoyable because newsflash, I have two nieces. I used to teach kids. I used to teach elementary school. I don't have, I, I, I have not, engineered any human beings because uh, we can talk about the difference between creating people and having kids because yeah. um, there's a difference one's active one's passive uh, it makes repeating yourself that much more fun and newsflash you are going to repeat yourself you're going to do it a lot so might as well get good at it so you enjoy doing it and then when you're enjoying yourself and you're breathing a little bit better then uh uh that that influences things i i made adam chin i love making adam chin laugh i made him laugh the first time we talked about the difference between having kids and creating uh uh kick-ass little people because you know um I'm, i i have a cold or mm-hmm. I, I have, uh, yeah, I'll have dessert. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very passive versus, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm creating or I'm engineering uh, uh, future adults because <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. There's a level of ownership there in that statement Big that time. didn't exist in uh, just having kids, right? One of the things that you had talked about um, is the stuck. So being in the stuck. Define what the stuck means for everybody. The stuck is the stress response. The stuck is um, sympathetic nervous system response. The stuck is uh, the breath trapped in the chest. The stuck, when someone's breathing is trapped in their chest, when they're replaying over and over, Byron Katie accurately said that we are that reality is kinder to ourselves, kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Mm. Reality happens once, and then we replay the thing over and over and over again. So there's the thing that happened. Okay, there's the event, and then there's our interpretation of the event and the mm. meaning, the meaning that we assign to the event. Those are two different things. There's the event, and then there's my story about the event. And then there's my repetition of the story of the event. And if I tell myself a story about this particular event and what it means about me and my life and maybe even the rest of my life, and I keep telling myself that story, and it's of a stressful nature, then I'm in that constricted, puckered, stressed state. When the breathing is trapped in the chest, people are going to have tunnel vision. Whatever they're focused on is the only thing they're going to be able to focus on. They're, they're locked in. It's like, a, it's like a tractor beam. And to make matters even more interesting, when someone's in that stress state, 
They have that radar lock on something. Their ability to listen goes way down. So for all you coaches listening to this, you will, I promise you this, get better results from people and they will be more malleable uh, psychologically and emotionally speaking, if you get their breath down into their abdomen, you've got to get them breathing better. When their breath is trapped in the chest, yeah, they hear you and it's in one ear and out the other. When someone's, and that could be, you could do that from you know, getting them to take some deep breaths. I know that sounds kind of corny and overused and it's true. Or you could get them to write down the problem so they can now they can now look at the words. The difference, Cody knows this very well. He's level two coach. When the, the difference between a story in someone's head, okay, and, the, and a story once it's written down on paper, as in write the whole thing out. Don't write about it. Write it out. It's the, the difference. It's super hard to navigate a story when it's in your head. It's seemingly infinite and vague. And then there's that worst part. And then, oh, God, what do I do with this thing? I'll, I'll either fight it or run from it or just lock it all in. And no, no, no. Externalize the story. Yes, the pen might feel like it's 1,500 pounds. It might feel like a 450-pound deadlift. And yes, this, this, I, I'm, I'm very clear uh, uh, and honest when it comes to the difficulty of this work at times. I mean, you've seen this with your clients. I know this well with myself and, and my clients. And I've written down some stories that, that uh, uh, I was shaking while I was yeah. writing them down. And, and I mean, you've seen that. Well, and when we went through the, when we went through the Billy reads, right. Mm. I didn't, I didn't even realize how, where, or why I was stuck until we wrote these things out because you can now see it yeah there's the words and then you can read it so uh um one of the level twos we did a uh one of his introductory calls it's not his introductory call we did his level two one-on-one call yesterday and we were celebrating wins which is another interesting thing we can talk about Mm -hmm. it's very rare for people to write down the the memories that have haunted them and it's also very rare for people to write down the specific times that they kicked ass and got it right and the mm. nice things people have done for them. And he wrote, um, he wrote this, this story, uh, the first of three stories about people doing nice things for him. Uh, a few months ago, they lost a child mm. and he wrote it down. And it was, the story was, the first sentence was a few months ago, we lost a child and one of my, I went and cried on one of my friend's shoulders and they never asked me what it was, even though they knew they gave no advice. They just let me emote. And, um, we might've spent three minutes of three, four minutes of silence with him. Just looking at that first statement, couldn't read it crying emoting until he got through the stuck and was able to say it <sighs> sigh of relief of what pressure it's a it's a it's an upper chest thing and he goes and he said the exact same thing cody just said he goes i didn't know that was in there he goes i didn't know that was a problem and that's very common feedback it's good to know what the problems are you want to know what the problems are write the thing down look stare at the words Say them out loud, even if it's tough. 
there's a perspective angle to it as well, right? When it lives up here, it's this big, it's uh, the Jordan Peterson, right? The, uh, you want to, uh, you want to go get the dragon in the cave before it comes into your village. It's up here in the village and it's just huge and it's monstrous. And then you put it on paper and you see how physically small the thing actually is. You're like, oh shit, well, I can move past this. I can now. I see how small it is. It's a different thing. There's when you say that there's, you know, the magic wand and there's power in the world, it's amazing. And I am taken aback by the fact that this is not taught to us in mass. We, this isn't this 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 very well should be a core tenet of education, as you've alluded to already. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And that's one of the reasons that we do we do what we do is because uh, there are people that want more uh, sovereignty and freedom and ownership in, in, in their lives. And that starts with our story. And once a story is written down, you are now way more, uh, and maybe that's all you need to do. You're now firmly on the side of the fence of owning that story. When a story is in your head, it owns you. You want to own, and you, you know what the stories are, folks. You know what the stories are. Every time you think about that thing that happened 15 years ago, Pucker City, man. Write the damn thing down, okay? Watch what happens. You need some help with it? Contact Cody. Send, send us, go to enlifted, at Enlifted Coaches uh, on Instagram. You need some help? We have, an, we have a, a battalion a very well-trained and dedicated, skillful, heart-centered coaches that will, will help you with this stuff. Going back to the breathing mechanics topic, right? From, from the fitness perspective, mm. this is something that we teach now in our on-ramp sessions. So day one, we, talk, we start talking about breathing and bracing. Because Sweet. We know well that core stability equals distal mobility. Right? Your brain needs to tell your or your body needs to tell your brain rather that the important things, the vital organs are protected before mm. you're going to be able to squat to an adequate range of motion or press safely overhead. Mm. And so we'll lay people on the ground on their back. I'll have them put one hand on their chest, one hand on their belly and get them to do both diaphragmic breathing, belly breathing. And it mm. is amazing almost universally it takes between five and eight reps before they can even figure out the mechanics of that pattern and sometimes it's like hey think of how a baby breathes you ever think you ever see a baby baby's breathing down into the belly they're not walking around chest breathing the whole time i imagine it's slightly uh maybe slightly evolutionarily based right uh not real sexy to walk down the street and breathe into your belly. But if we're a guy, we're breathing into our chest or a girl, right? There's yeah. something there to that. But if we can't get them to breathe well, we know that without proper bracing, they increase their likelihood of injury under load. You can't protect the vital stuff. You're going to get tension somewhere else in the body where you need like a stretch reflex, an example for a squat. That breathing and bracing, um, just relearning the pattern is so huge for people. 
And I think it's interesting for you to bring up another reason why we get stuck up in the chest. My personal professional opinion, the reason why people's breath gets stuck in their chest is, is their words, mm-hmm. is the language, is the unresolved stories, okay, that still hold emotional charge. Uh, good friend of mine, Brian Jones, uh, real rock and roller, man, Brian Jones and the, rock, the Brian Jones Rock and Roll Revival. Uh, he's, a, he's a lead singer. He said, uh, and a meditation teacher, uh, he said, if you're holding your breath, you're going to hurt yourself. No matter what it is, you hold your breath when you're out on a date. That's injurious. Okay. Hold, hold your breath. Cody, listen to me go off on this last night. Presentation skills, man. I love talking about presentation skills. So much fun. Give, give, give a workshop, give a presentation, give a talk and make sure you're all tense and tight and breathing in your chest. First and foremost, you're not going to have fun, negation acknowledged, and neither the people that are going to be listening to you. Oh, the many blessings that, that are bestowed upon people that repattern their, their breath mechanics. We're designed to breathe in our abdomen most of the time. Okay. Yeah, go in the gym, turn up the volume, create the stressed state, and then get out of there, man. Whoa, man, and, and down-regulate, rest, and digest, feed, and breed. Yeah, talking about being designed to breathe that way. Um, think mm-hmm. about when you're in the middle of a really hard workout. You're, take, you're sucking wind, right? You're taking those full, deep breaths, pulling them down into your belly. Now, when you're walking through the rest of your day, you're not. You're keeping in that, that chest breathing. So it's interesting that there is that sweet spot of stress, right? Physiological stress that can help us um, tap into very primal patterns as far as breathing. And if we look at that from the lesson perspective, we can start to say, okay, how can I utilize this in the future and breathe better throughout the day? I dig that. Life, man. Life. one of the things that I'm really interested by is the, uh, the logical brain versus the emotional brain, right? In the, in the context okay. of, fit, of fitness, I've said this for years, that in the fitness space, it's not a lack of information for most people. That's the problem, mm. right? Mm. 80% of people know what to do. Most people know they need to exercise. They need to eat real food, not too much most of the time. They need to get sleep. And yet... The story is that, well, it's just really hard for me to lose weight. It's really hard for me to get started with exercise. Well, you don't get it. I've tried everything. And when we're talking about being locked into that emotional brain, as you were talking about, right? Those stories create what kind of um, mental imagery? All of the times that we failed. Yes. All of the things that we don't want, the less than optimal outcomes. Yes. If we're trying to use language to flip that, we've talked about kind of the, the core tenets of conflict and architect language. But one of the things that, that we started using, I went through a program called the Strong Coach. 
Mm-hmm. And I know that you've, you helped influence the language pieces in that, I imagine. Um, and we were using a lot of what were called mantras or how you would call it, affirmation statements. Mm-hmm. What is an affirmation statement? An affirmation statement is uh, a, a statement that helps you focus on what you want, what you can do, what is possible, uh, what will happen if you do this, this, and this. Uh, it, it, it helps you, it helps bring uh, solutions to the forefront of, of your imagination. So instead of, um, you know, it's, it's just so hard for me to use how could I or, or, or could I? The word could used consciously is very powerful. Could puts everything on the table. Could I lose weight? Well, I mean, I, I just don't know. Okay, cool. Put some time frame in there. Could you lose weight in the next cyclical year? Well, I mean, I, I guess I could. You guess you could or you could? Yes, I could. Perfect. Say it. I could lose weight in the next cyclical year. Okay. That's called a big time progress as opposed to it, it, it's, it's just so hard for me to lose weight. And then you can get into, once you've identified the fact that you could, then you can get into process. What would you need to do more of? What would you need to do less of in order to facilitate that? And again, pen to paper, folks. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, the, the, the world is flat versus the world is round between the thought in your head, it's just so hard for me to lose weight, and then the written statement, how could I lose weight? Okay, and then you get, then you look at the words, you're like, well, lose weight. Well, I mean, how much weight? 10 pounds? Yeah, yeah, sure, 10 pounds. How, write it down, how could I lose 10 pounds? Same thing. Now your reticular activating system, it it goes to work because it always goes to work. It's like, okay, cool. How could I do this? Who would I need to talk to about this? What are the components of of a weight loss program? Uh, Well, diet. There's a a place to start. Do I know anyone uh, who's into that? Well, uh, let me think. So it, that, that right there is, and it, trust me, folks, it is that simple. It's that, sim- it's, it's, it's that simple and it's so challenging because it's so simple, is to get your language working for you. And the fastest way that I know how of, that I know of for someone on their own to get their language working for them is to write down what you're thinking right now about the thing. And look at the words. Stop believing the thoughts in your head and write them down and stare at them. I think about this from the injury perspective, right? Occasionally, Mm -hmm. we'll get people who come into the gym and they have dealt with a previous injury. And the story Mm -hmm. most often is, I just don't want to hurt my back again. Yep. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, that was good. That was good. So if that's what we're thinking about, right, the um, where our focus goes or where our energy flows, our focus goes, all of that stuff, right? If, I, if all I can think about is I don't want to hurt my back again, 
that's like in the workshop that we had, I, I had everybody do this. I said, all right, everybody close your eyes. Now don't think of the color red. And then I said, how many of you only saw the color red? And here goes, everybody's hand shoots up. And then I said, all right, we'll reset, close your eyes. Now think about every color of the rainbow. How many of you only thought of the color red? None of them. None. So when we came in and we're like, I don't want to hurt my back again. I'm like, okay, got it. What do you want? Beautiful. Well, I want to be strong. I want to be able to tie my shoes. I want to be able to do boom, boom, boom. Sweet. So in that one initial conversation, we're able to change the things that we're thinking about. It's not, it's not pretending that the other thing doesn't exist, right? It's not pretending that there isn't a hell to run away from. It's also giving us a heaven to run towards. Ladies and gentlemen, what he just said right there was, that was beautifully said, masterfully said. It's not that there isn't a hell to run away from. It's there's also a heaven to run towards. When we're, so one of the things that we did through the enlifted process is we went through something called the Billy story. Mm -hmm. So for uh, people kind of tuning in the Billy story, if I'm, if I'm surmising it correctly is everybody has an evil inner workout partner. Mm -hmm. We called him Billy, right? And everybody kind of got to name their own. And mm -hmm. Billy is the guy who tells you all of the ways that you're not good enough, you're inadequate, all of your faults, your failures. He reminds you of the things that you don't want. Mm. How did the concept for you get for the Billy story? How did that get started? It's a fun story. So Mike Bledsoe, myself, Ashley Bledsoe, and some friends, we were in Sedona, Arizona in uh, March of, of 2018. And we got, uh, we're, we're, we're flying, we're all flying out of Phoenix. Okay. And we've got a, we got a night in Phoenix. Okay. And Mike is a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And um, uh, we, we were talking about 10th planet. You know, the, the, the stoners that smoke weed and figure out weird, crazy ways to, to twist your body into uh, the, the wrong ways. And, and we look up uh, 10th Planet in, in Phoenix and, and we go in and uh, everybody's really cool. And we're, we're uh, uh, we take a couple classes and I've uh, I'd been off the mat forever, dude. I, I am a time capsule when it comes to jujitsu, uh, especially compared to these cats. And so we go into, um, go into the gym and we take a couple classes and I, I roll with, uh, somebody afterwards. And this, this dude puts me in, I figured out what it was. Uh, it was a Kimura from, I guess the side half guard he's laying. I didn't, I, I was, I, I didn't think it was as serious as it was. Okay. So I yank my arm and he holds on and we're going back and forth and my arm rips out of socket. Okay, at the elbow and uh, he lets go and uh, I look at my arm. This is also an interesting conversation about what you can do when you stay cool. Mm. All right. So, and I've had plenty of injuries. Okay. Where I was not cool at all. Like the most uncool cat on the planet. 
this particular happened, th this thing happens and I look at my elbow, I look at the dude and he's like, mm. everybody heard it. There's, there's, there's a certain, think of Jurassic Park when somebody's yeah. getting chewed up by a T-Rex. I mean, there's certain, there's a sound <laughs> to uh, tearing ligaments and, and bone. Um, and, uh, and I look at him, look back on my arm and I, I go straight to my calendar of all things. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, uh, I've got a kettlebell certification in two months at on it. That's probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Paleo effects is in six weeks. I think I can run the thing with my arm like this if it's bad. And I'm the one on the insurance. Hey, Mike, we got to go because I'm, I don't know what's going on here. So um, um, uh, we get in the car and just drive to the thing and uh, wake up the next day. And uh, yep, it, it ripped out of socket. Uh, I forget what it was called. I, I don't remember shit like that but, and we went uh we went and 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 had it checked out in my arm they the, the pt took it and swung it out to the side Ugh. no problem Ooh. and then he, he goes yeah you, you done done it so i call my business partner i'm like hey man uh, i just got my arm ripped out of socket uh um uh and got a got an mri and it's all wrecked and he goes cool let's turn it into a work retreat come on over to thailand get you fixed over here so we go over there and a couple of nights before my surgery, I'm like, you know, dude, Mike and I did a, a number of workshops called flow stated mm. on language, movement and breath. And they were really cool. Let's get on the phone with him and see if he wants to make a, uh, uh, a mini course for the fitness industry. So uh, he goes, yeah, that sounds fun. So we, we rent uh Jack LaLanne's house in Palm Springs. True mm -hmm. story. And, and there was also another house involved. Shout out to Ed Hudson. Anyway, we, we were scripting. We're, we're scripting the, the, the script for the way the enlisted athlete. And it was either Adam or Mike. Um, they were talking about the evil inner workout partner. And they're like, what if we put skits into this course? Huh? Well, what would we do? Well, what if we what if we created Mike's evil inner workout partner and named him Billy and put Billy in all these scenarios where he's just just his own worst enemy in the gym? And so we did, and uh, uh, and we're then then the, the, the thing turned into a full course. We're like, well, what is this thing? How are we going to launch it? Hey, let's launch it at Paleo FX. Are we just going to sell the course? I mean, we had this really well-placed booth and like, well, you know, let's, how about a 12-week instructor-led uh, uh, training course? Well, that's what we'll sell. Yeah, cool. We did. We sold 20 spots and um, we did two lessons a week and and we got people to write out their billies and billy work is no joke. It is tough. For some people, it is super tough. This one woman on the course um, – and this is what eventually turned into the certifications. She wrote and she said, um, this work is super valuable. And, and what, what she had done is she'd written her Billy story out and I read it out loud, uh, uh, I think on call two. And it was something along the lines of, you know, part of me just puts my family forth 
when it comes to my, and she was, she, she looked, she probably was a, a CrossFit competitor, super yoked. She's like, I'll drag my kids to the gym and make them sit there and wait. And, Cause if I don't, I'm scared of what will show up in my mind and all these things. And my Billy says this to me, whispers, you know, you, you, you're never good enough. You'll never make it happen. Uh, uh, why are you even trying? You're just a total loser. You should give up. Uh, and, and that's a whole other level of writing things down. Write down the shit that you say to yourself in your head. If you ever want to own that, folks, if you ever want to dismantle that, most people's victim – it's part of the victim mentality, which I'm happy to recite the, the definition of victim mentality for the 598th time. Uh, uh, and I'm just getting started. Uh, uh, write that down. If you want to own that part of your identity, because it's not all, it's part – and you want to dismiss – most people's victim mentalities are well-oiled machines, and they have no idea that there is uh, – uh, uh, that they can do something with that. Get that stuff on paper, and it's going to sting. And she wrote back and said, um, you know, what y'all are doing is, 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 is very real and very necessary. Uh, just, I'm, 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 not, I'm not there yet. I can't go there yet. Keep my money. And I, 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 said, I said respect. Um, and – and then that got forged into the level one certification, which is all about the systematic, methodical deconstruction of the victim mentality. The definition of the victim mentality, I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. The definition of the victim mentality, it is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence, the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That second sentence is very telling. The victim mentality depends, as in it has to have, a habitual thought process. Habitual accurately implies duration and addiction. Regardless of how much you, you, you hate it and you loathe it, this goes for me too. Part of us is addicted to that story. Anything that we emotionalize over for better and for worse, we get addicted to it. Yep. And, and undoing that pattern, that process, it, it can be extremely challenging for people and it's also extremely valuable. Turns out that the exit is in. You want to get out of something? Go in. Well, as you've alluded to, it's a part, it's a piece of the identity, right? And it's amazing where we get, uh, where we get little snippets of insider motivation. I heard this um, on the trailer for a movie and I can't even tell you what the movie is, but she asks a question, the, the, the main character, she says, what do you do when you find that you've built yourself up with the wrong things? You tear it all down and you start over. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's just that's to the core of the identity piece. So well said. Right. It's so I came up with this uh, this kind of process. And I don't know if I actually came up with this or if I stole this from you at some point in time or somebody somebody else. But it's that words create stories. Stories create belief. Belief influences behavior. Behavior creates identity. That's the process. And it's, it's linear. It's not as cyclical as you might think. It's you start with the words and you end up as this thing. And if you don't take control 
of the words, you end up with something that you don't want. The problem, the problem with that is, right, is identifying that I am, I don't like this. It's, I have been a victim and I am no longer. Hmm. The hard work is tearing all of those pieces down and rebuilding as something else, something better, something more. One of the, uh, one of the things going through that course right, is what's called road to hell motivators. Mm-hmm. This was especially um, pointed for me, I would say. And I, I see that a lot with uh, athletes in the gym, right? It's, well, I don't want him to think I'm a pussy. I don't want, uh, I don't want, uh, I don't want to be a bitch, right? It's all about, well, I don't want, I don't, it's the outcomes that I don't want. And I was even on a call with another group of gym owners and uh, one guy got on there and he talked about reviews on Google. And he said, I, I actually heard him say, I'm kind of hoping for a bad Google review. And I, all I could think of was two things. Number one, no, you don't want, you don't want that. And number two is now it's coming. By focusing on those, well, you know, this, I don't want them to think this way, or I want to, I want to look tough in front of everybody, something like that. Or, well, he lifted that way. So now I should too. I watched somebody hurt their back doing that in a three rep deadlift. He lifted a weight that he was comfortable with. Then somebody else lifted a little bit heavier than him. And I watched the gears turn in his head. He looked at it. (laughs) He looked away. And he was like, he looked at it again. And he's like, okay. He picks it up. And on the third rep, you saw his face go from to like two months later, he's still dealing with back issues. All because he looked at what is this person doing? And how do I uh, look like? whatever I should in their eyes. Those, those road to hell, right? That's exactly, it's like exactly what it comes out to be, right? The road to hell. We end up creating a less than optimal outcome by trying to do what we think other people will support us for or like us for, or give us adoration for a hundred percent, man. I, I, uh, and I'm, it's a very safe assumption. I've got plenty of good company here. I used to fuel my workouts with what I hoped and dreamed other people would say about me. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's such a badass. Mm. You know, he's so tough. You mm. wouldn't want to mess with that guy. That's just, that was on fucking ticker tape in my head. And, and do you think that got me to, to, to overtrain just a pinch? Because if I wasn't if I wasn't flat out redlining, then there's a chance that that uh, I wasn't those things. Mm. It's known known as working out for other people's goals. And what are the chances someone's going to say that shit? Okay, or or you know I've been I've been in the gym six months longer than that person, and and, and they're doing all that weight over there. Comparison, hell, man. Yeah comparison hell i've never seen it work out positively not long term right it might fuel you for the day or the week or or however long that that stint is but it 
and binary language acknowledged. It always ends poorly. Bad. It's true. It's very true. And, you know, we, uh, we said once upon a time that we want to change the faces, not of, in the fitness industry. I also recognized that I, would, I had the most scrunched up, angry face while I was training. And guess what would happen when I would leave the gym? That face was, was physiologically, neurologically fused into, my, into me. And it was really hard work getting out of that on the very few times that I did. And now when I train, I will, it's, 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 it's weird. It's just, it's, it's weird. And it's, it's the right kind of weird for me at this stage of the game. I'll kick a bag with a big smile on my face and take a breath, <sighs> smile, cool. kick, smile, kick, smile, kick, because I want to have that, that psychological and emotional and physiological dexterity, mm. you know? Okay, fine. I can put a, I can be, I can, I can, I can pull out the mean guy card. I mean, when am I going to do that? You know, I'd much rather have a, 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 a long, uh, fluid, uh, uh, healthy, uh, not career, just, just a, a, a path, you know, that, that first road, that was, that was tough going, man. I hurt me. Mm. I hurt me with my words. And then it showed up in my body. Total rocket science. Thinking about the, uh, the facial expression got me Got me down this hole, right? You, you know, the person who always walks around like this, with the with the furled eyebrow. Yeah, right? that was me it's for me a very long time. So, <clears throat> and now with the the knowledge that I have, looking back, the reason, in part, was the story that was perpetuating about who I was and the things that motivated me, the things that I needed to do. It was the being fueled by the darkness, yeah. being fueled by the negativity, the bad points of my past, right? Well, I'm going to show all of them, those sorts of things. Do you think that uh, made me curious, the whole resting bitch face? Yeah. What kind of a story is going on in there? Well, it's, um, there's very little rest going on there. It's, it turns out it's, it's actually active cocksucker face. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it's just it's it's a it's a story of of angst, of anger, of and it and and ninety nine percent of of active cocksucker face boils down to a telephobia, the fear of not being good enough. Okay, that's what that's what Billy. That's the centerpiece. That's the crown jewel of of our evil inner workout partner. The fear of not being good enough. So I'm going. I'm hell bent on proving that I'm good enough. Okay, which is a stressed response. It's a stressed state, fueled by the darkness, like you said, and um, you know, very rarely, very rarely does it does it end well. Okay, most of the time it ends it ends in injury and and neurosis. There was uh, so thinking about soft talk, solid talk. Right. There is there is something called the strategic use of soft talk. For sure. One of the I, I found a, a T-shirt that I wanted to share with you that I thought had a, an interesting strategic use of soft talk. It's uh, mm -hmm. it says sometimes gangsters just have to bang hammers. 
Sun Tzu, Art of War. So obviously not a quote from Sun Tzu and the Art of War, but I found it to be an interesting use of that uh, of that soft talk. You know, yeah, yeah, you know what? Sometimes gangsters do have to bang hammers. It's 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 very true. And what what Cody's talking about the the strategic use of soft talk is the conscious use of soft talk, which is simply hearing what's coming out of your mouth or hearing what what you're thinking paying attention to what you're thinking, recognizing uh, or uh, consciously using a maybe, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to make it to that mm. event. Okay. If, if I say that consciously, because there could be a chance that uh, my wife's in labor, you know, and I'm going to definitely prioritize that, uh, that's a okay. You know, there's a time for negations. Negations are really funny when it, when it, they're great when it's when for comedy and 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 sometimes if you're if you want to layer in instruction affirmation negation affirmation okay uh do it like this make sure you're not uh, uh, too much forward flexion and and just do do it like this so it's it, it really comes down to awareness mm. Simple awareness. All this stuff that we're talking about, folks, um, it's very simple. It's very simple in one sense. And it's also the, 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 it's easy for people to understand. It's easy for people to relate to. The, the challenge and the value comes in the implementation of it. All the information in the world is no good without action. Right. Amen. Is that another Sun Tzu quote? <laughs> yeah, it is now. Might as well be. Sometimes yeah. gangsters. Yeah. One of the, I, I imagine that a, a beautiful place to, uh, to cap the conversation on is, is to give some, give the people listening some actionable things. And one of the things that we've um, dove, that we've dove into, dove into uh, over the level two is the wins. Yes. Right the value of celebrating wins. Why you asked us this question and I'm curious for your answer. Why do you believe it's so hard for people to celebrate their wins? Because the, the more stories of woe and failure and wrong and victimization and persecution, uh, um, that people have in their backstory, uh, those are parts of the story that are working, actively working, uh, and are antithetical to us being successful and enjoying the fruits of our labor. And, and they also are actively influencing our reticular activating system. Okay. Once those stories, once we start to, 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 to open them up, to air them out, to own them, then, then we're giving ourselves uh, that uh, extra mental real estate and an easier time going from all the times that we fucked it up to one of the times we got it right. And then when we recognize, and this happens so much in the level two calls, people struggle when it comes to celebrating their wins until they crack the seal. They get that first one down and the reticular activating system comes online and it, now it knows the game to play, which is go find more wins. 
uh, very rarely does it happen on its own. Okay. We have to, um, and again, pen to paper, we have to instigate, we have to activate our reticular activating system to, to identify the wins, uh, the nice things people have said to us, the nice things people have done for us, get them on paper. And that's the process that begins a process of us uh, becoming more comfortable with them. And in turn, becoming more comfortable with, um, with identifying ourselves as people that you know, kind of get things right sometimes. Take out the kind of, get things right sometimes. Well, what things? Well, that, that, and that. Well, you know what? I, I actually am pretty good at this, this, and this. Take out the actually. Okay, fine. I am good at this. Okay? And so we bring in the good. We're talking about dispelling, which means to cast out. Casting out negativity. We're talking about well, the, the definition of uh, uh, the lifted definitions of winners and losers is quite simple. Okay, winners rep the wins, rep the wins in your mind. Okay, losers rep the losses. Yes, of course, it's good to know where you come from, and if you're if if you're focusing on the times in your life where this goes for me just as much as I'm completely in this conversation, if I focus on the times that I've lost, mess things up, made mistakes, and I'm very emotional about them still, then then I'm training my reticular activating system to, to find more experiences like that and uh, uh, creating the likelihood that, that the ease of me going back into that stuff. Um, there's also a societal component to it. Mm. Uh, you know, there's some, there are, let's just, let's not be naive here, folks. There are some people that do not want to listen to your wins. Okay. My advice is to surround yourself with people that do, you know, that was total that, rocket science. That was a large part for me um, going through this. And I even noticed some, um, some things popping up in my imagination after we did our um, individual level two call. Right. Reading through the wins. And then after the fact, I'm thinking, oh, what if what if people think that those were too brash? What if they think that uh, that I was kind of a dick? What if, you know, all of these things? And it was that awareness. Right. Just even knowing that that is an unreasonable thing being created in my imagination because the experience being, oh, well, if you celebrate yourself or you talk about your successes, um, that's hubris. And we're convinced that hubris equals demise, right? Icarus flew too close to the sun. Um, even in Proverbs, right? It's, uh, it's a haughty heart before destruction. Pride comes before the fall. It is ingrained in us that celebration equals um, arrogance. Arrogance is pride. Pride is demise. And that's not true. It may be true, rather, but that's not accurate. There is a way that we can celebrate our wins to uh, place ourselves above other people. Mm. Okay. And I, I, I safely imagine that uh, that's what those uh, very wise words are alluding to, mm. as opposed to giving myself well-deserved credit. Okay. And the, 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 the trick is there, folks, is that you want to give yourself uh, the amount of credit that you need to where 
you've you've scratched that itch in a sense. You know, you're not searching, hoping, praying for someone else to tell you that you're good enough. Okay, there's 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 some parts of us that only we can acknowledge and attend to, and when when those conversations are had and and the nods are are given to us for us by us then that starts a very valuable uh process of unraveling codependency that's huge it's very huge no longer seeking that external validation it needs to start with self big time of course a compliment is nice absolutely And, and going into the fitness space again right a lot of Uh, some people are motivated by, well, I want to look better. Well, why do you want to look better? And we start to be, well, it's because um, I was picked on when I was younger Mm -hmm. or it's, I want so-and-so to find me attract. I want to, I want to attract a mate. I want to, I want something outside of myself to tell me that I'm good enough. And we know that it's not how it's going to work. Is that's it's an unattainable thing, right? You can chase that forever. Because you can't control it. It's outside of your circle of control. It works a whole lot better when uh and it's fun looking great, it's fun feeling great, it's fun being attractive. Uh uh and and it's a whole lot more fun when you know we're 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 part of the part of the people that are uh you know enjoy liking us. Oh yeah. You know, if I don't like me and I go out and trying to find someone to like me enough to where I like me, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. So how do we, this wind journal, how do, how do you imagine people can take this, put this into practice? What is, what is something they could start doing today? Get yourself a notebook, $5 notebook. And one page a day until it's done. And if you miss a day, oh, no. Write down something you did right. Mm. Write down something you got right. And it's very likely going to be a, a, a little bit challenging at first. You get, you get two or three things on paper, and maybe it's, just, it's two or three sentences on one paper. Okay? Did you graduate high school? Okay. Did, uh, you know, did you, uh, did you go to the, did you go to the gym yesterday? Okay. It, the seemingly small stuff adds up, you know, have, uh, uh, did you get a, did you get a, uh, did you, what, what's your, what, what's your, what's your PR mm. PR on your back squat? You know, how much, how much better have you gotten at, 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 at CrossFit? compared to when you started. I guarantee someone three years in is infinitely better in the gym than when the day they first, you know, breathing on their stomach or their chest and can't figure out where their ears are. And um, uh, think, and think about, you could also please put in there the times that people were there for you. Hmm. Okay. Cause you got those. I guarantee you, everybody listen to this. You've got, 20 times more wins to write down than you think you do right now. That's, that is, that's as true as anything that I've said on this podcast so far and create a practice of acknowledging them. You will feel better and you will breathe better. 
and that's a big that's a big part of um, us learning to to enjoy being in our skin. You know, when you're comfortable in your skin, your everything improves. Everything improves, and 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 that that like I said a while ago, that is totally an inside job. No one's going to do that for us, and that's cool. You know, I wouldn't want someone to do that for me. That'd be kind of weird. Yeah. Mark, it has been an excellent conversation, my friend. Yes, it has. You're a great host. Great pace. I appreciate. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, Where can people uh, learn more about you, follow you? Where can we find you at? Instagram, Mark England 2057. Uh, If you want to see what Cody and I have been talking about uh, live, uh, I do an Instagram live, one hour of unscripted uh, coaching every Tuesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a lot of fun. We're doing it tonight. It's dope. If there is, um, out of all of the things that we've talked about today, there's one thing you'd like people who listen to this podcast to come away with. What might that be? Can I give you two? Yeah. Know that your language, your words are powerfully influencing you for better and for worse. And have a conversation. Let's just go with one. Where you slow down your rate of speech by about 20%. You speak a little bit slower and watch what happens. Watch how you feel and watch how the conversation flows. You'll like it. So good. That's a beautiful place to cap it. Mark, thank you again for your time, my friend. Thank you, Cody. uh, We will see you, Fortitude, at the gym.